I needed to be really, really sure that everything about the onboarding and sign up process and people getting started was was really smooth. Otherwise, you, you just the analogy is like you put a bunch of water in the top of the bucket and it leaks out the bottom. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. Today, in episode four of our first season, I follow up with Craig Hewitt of Castos, one of nine startups chosen for this year's Tiny Seed Accelerator. I recommend listening to the first three episodes of this season if you haven't already. As we've been following Craig over the past three episodes, you may remember some themes from his highs and lows. He's been in the process of hiring a growth marketer, and later in the episode, we'll follow up on how that's going with his new hire, Denise. Last week, Craig's major low was the flatlining of growth that he's been observing over the past few weeks. This week, a major bummer turned into a major breakthrough. We shipped a new kind of workflow or or sign-up process into the app, uh, and we identified... I guess around the beginning of July that there was a bug in there that was kind of preventing people from signing up completely. And, and yeah, that, that was, that was kind of a, a big deal, not kind of a big deal. That was a big deal uh, because it affected, you know, top line revenue uh, and our growth, our growth rate over the last, you know, several weeks of last month um, until we identified the the kind of issue and the root of the issue and were able to resolve it. So, you know, it's funny, we, we still we still definitely grew last month, but we effectively had, you know, some time of, of not signing up any new customers. And that stunk. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And you were concerned about how your growth had had kind of flatlined. And it was fairly sudden that it happened, if I recall. And this explains it, right? I mean, this really was the reason for the flatlining. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, it was kind of a part of it. It didn't affect everybody, but it definitely affected some people. Uh, and so that it wasn't like nothing was happening, which obviously would have, you know, because we get whatever, five, 10 new signups a day. Uh, so so if nobody was signing up, we would have said, you know, holy shit, <laughs> nobody's signing up, what's going on? Uh, but this was actually pretty subtle uh, and like pretty far downstream from the, the kind of metrics that we look at on a regular basis. So yeah, it took a while to say, nobody's converting. Why is nobody converting, basically? We figured it out, resolved it. And then since then, actually, you know, growth is is up above where it had been before on, on kind of a, you know, prorated or daily basis, which is cool. Um, and then I feel pretty bad that like we we had a snafu that that's, you know, pretty significant. But, but I took some solace in the fact that like it's definitely time boxed. It's resolved already. It affected our growth last month. But we're trying to look forward. My wife gives me a lot of grief that like I am too optimistic about problems and I, I just kind of swipe them under the rug. But I mean, this one's past us. We're, we're moving on. We've already moved on. Uh, and we have, we have much better news than, than that bit of bad news. Yeah, in terms of startup issues, that's a relatively minor one, as surprising as that sounds like hampering your growth yeah. for three weeks in the scheme of a five or 10 year company is really something that you will laugh about in two months. It becomes lore, right? Remember that time we shut down the sign up flow? And I know you didn't shut it down, but you know, we screwed up the sign up flow. Every, every startup founder, every product team, every dev team has tales of this that are crazy scary 
and crazy painful and crazy. I mean, sometimes it's an all-nighter to fix. And while you're going through it, it's completely brutal. But that's that's the story. You know, that's that's part of why, as as perverted as it sounds, it's part of why we do startups because they're so damn interesting. And there's always a problem mm-hmm. to solve, you know? And you don't want the negatives. You want it to be all sunshine and roses, but it's not going to be, and you know that going in. And in the scheme of things, this is not, that big of a deal because you you solved it. Now, I've heard of folks who screwed up their sign-up flow or screwed up whatever, deliverability or screwed up something and it goes on for months and months and they can't figure it out. That would be, that'd be tough, right? Yeah. It, and it was it was kind of a double whammy. I mean, we, you know, sign-ups had been about the same for the last few months, um, but we're also getting to that kind of asymptote of, of stagnation with you know, signups being about the same, our churn rate is about the same, but we have more customers. So like we just have that many more total people canceling each month. So we were definitely approaching that that kind of flat line. And then with this, that definitely just like, I mean, put us on, on you know, literally no growth for the first few weeks of the month. And then the last two weeks of the month, we grew at the rate that we, we normally grow uh, or even better. So it's cool in that respect to see that like, wow, now that things are resolved, we're going about like we want to, and the forward-looking metric of new signups is a ton better than it has been. So, did you find the bug, or did your dev team find the bug? Uh, I found the bug. And what's going through your mind when when you find this? Because I assume you were going through your own signup flow and you noticed something amiss. Yeah, it was pretty clear. Like it was pretty clear this was the problem. You can kind of look at you know, you sign yourself up and you figure it out and then you look at other customers that have signed up recently and you say, oh, yep, they all have the same characteristics. This is definitely kind of what's going on. I think kind of what you're getting at is like, how do you not have this happen in the future? And and we talk a ton about that uh, internally uh, across everything. And, and it'll, it'll apply to Denise too, right? Because that's a whole nother process we have to come up with and set of expectations and how and where am I involved and how and where should I definitely not be involved? Um, I think this is like the 2.0 of running a business is like, okay, get the product out, get some revenue, ship anything you can to, to get paying customers. And now we're at the point where like things need to be sane. They need to be really predictable. They need to be on a timeline that's not hours or days, but weeks and months. Sane and planned and predictable are hard to achieve even at our scale because I think we're just getting into that point. Craig is attempting to strike a difficult balance between maintaining a stable product and shipping features quickly. Move fast and break things works until you break the wrong thing, and it costs you growth or damages your reputation. Luckily, this mistake was only the former. If Craig ran a product team at NASA or Lockheed or a medical device company, they would spend nine months building a handful of features, performing endless testing to achieve 99.999% bug-free code. But Castos is an early-stage startup, and they need to maintain high feature velocity to outstrip their competition. You can't ship four, five, or six new features every week, week after week, and expect nothing to go wrong. This is one of the major tensions you live with when building a SaaS product. The key to making this work is not panicking when things go wrong and blaming your process rather than the person who shipped the bug. Craig understands how a major bummer like this results in learnings for him and his team. Now let's hear about the good news. Almost everything about the last couple of weeks has been really good. But overall, like 
Uh, I I'm trying to be patient. I think we talked about this last time. I'm trying to be patient with like laying the foundation and the groundwork for us to be able to grow in a really sustained and efficient manner. And, and we're we're starting to see that now, which is really cool. That like we've done all this work and now it's starting to pay off, or, or the leading indicators of it are starting to pay off. And so it's it just takes a long time. Like SaaS is just not. You can't just go make a whole bunch of money in in a day with SaaS because it's just like. Uh, the compounding effect, of it, which is the great part, but it but it also for growth means the the compounding just takes time. So the biggest one, like an overarching thing, is really like all I've been focused on in my business is is growing the top of the funnel, and and we found a couple of ways that we're doing that in a scalable way through paid acquisition specifically. And that is just really exciting. I think any business owner that starts to figure out paid acquisition just sees the, oh, it's not unlimited potential, but but surely compared to something like content marketing, it, it's super, super scalable. So to think like, oh, we have like an inkling of something here that's not really paying off as quickly as we want it to, but the potential is definitely there. Uh, and, and to think like, you know, in another month, we could probably figure out you know those optimizations and the tweaks we need to make to to the whole campaign structure to get us to where paid acquisition is profitable is just super exciting. Um, and so you know that translates into like the number of new trials we had last month is up like thirty five percent. So that just that 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 means a lot of good things for the business. That's huge. Yeah, that's a big number. I heard a venture capitalist once say that there are only three channels that scale quote unquote infinitely, obviously it's a bit of an exaggeration, but that scale dramatically. One is paid acquisition, the other is is organic search. And that doesn't just mean Google, that's across any, you know, any of the uh, search engines, including Amazon or YouTube or app stores. Uh, and the third is is outbound sales, whether that's cold calling or cold emailing. I'm not 100% mm. sure there are no others, but it was an interesting frame of mind. A quick heads up, in this next section, I use the phrase 10 million ARR SaaS company, where ARR stands for annual recurring revenue. Now, our types of businesses don't need infinite scale, right? Because you could build a $10 million ARR SaaS company purely on something that that isn't one of those, on affiliate marketing, on you know joint webinars, on content marketing, as you said. But you're, you are totally correct in that all of those other channels are so reliant on other entities and they're so reliant on the whims of things and paid acquisition, you know, aside from just being reliant on the network that you're using, but if you can get it working in one ad network, you can often translate that in some form or fashion to another. And it goes so fast once you once you get it working. Mm-hmm. Whereas content marketing can take six, 12 months of a flywheel. SEO, the same thing, if not longer. Um, but be, even having a chance at, at you know, a break-even ROI on paid acquisition is something that many businesses never get to. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's not; it's a lot of things. And I think that's a really hard thing about paid acquisition, and to to conceptualize it for for the business owner who's wearing a lot of hats is really tough because you think, okay, I gotta I gotta pick the network. You know, it's Facebook or it's Google or it's Cora or it's whatever. Then I got to run the ads and then I got to select what people are searching for, what their interests are. And then I got to get the creatives and then I got to figure out where to send them. And then you got to get all the on-page stuff and then the conversion tracking and all of this stuff is just like, it's, it's no, it's no wonder this is a person or several people's only job at big businesses. Cause I mean, it's just, it's just a ton of work 
uh, and to keep track of everything is is mind blowing. Honestly, even at the the little tiny scale we're at right now. So, it but it's cool to see it starting to work. Can you take me back to the moment where you saw the ad report and it clicked in your mind? This might actually work. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I'm checking the you know the the ad report daily, just like just like my profit well report. Um, and and yeah, started started to see good good numbers on like from an ad performance perspective, but our on page like conversions weren't happening yet. We made some tweaks there, and you know we got some initial conversions. They were pretty expensive, and then really a, around the last third of the month, really like the last week and a half of the month, we made some changes and started getting conversions like quite quite a bit cheaper, like half half or a third of the price that we did originally um, to, to the point where we'll probably get paid back in a couple of months. Yeah, it's really exciting. And, and seeing just that little inkling gives you gives you all the hope that like, oh man, we maybe we have it. And like, I have to, I can stop thinking about this and, and just focus on on this being like the thing that we do for the next year, years, you know, I mean, this could be it. So that's cool. Yeah. You've been talking about wanting to make paid work for a year or more, you know, cause you and I had conversations. <laughs> and I'm just chicken. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think that's what it is. I think you were trying to, I think you were trying to get to a place where you had budget to do it. You, I don't think you wanted to do it yourself, right? You wanted to hire a consultant the whole time because uh, time constraints, because you're running a you know business basically on your own with, you know, I know you have developers and such, but you're kind of, you were kind of the whole marketing team. And it seemed like it was a matter of priorities of like, I have to ship product. I have to keep the flywheel going. And that was taking up all your time. That was at least from my perspective, how, you know, what I was seeing. One quick note in this next segment, Craig uses the phrase product market fit. That just means you've built a product that people want and are willing to pay for. It's a lot harder than it sounds. Back to Craig. And there's a fair amount of intimidation or, or fear around the, the product, the level of product market fit that you have, even though like on paper, I think we have a high degree of product market fit to start running ads to, to your product makes you really question that because people organically come in and they find you and that's great. They sign up and they become customers and you're really happy. But, but when you start forcing that to happen, you need to be, or I needed to be really, really sure that everything about the onboarding and sign up process and people getting started was was really smooth otherwise you you just you know the the analogy is like you put a bunch of water in the top of the bucket and it leaks out the bottom i think we amazingly after like whatever two and a half years we finally feel like the product is really 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 solid to where we can put a bunch of people in the funnel and they won't leak out the bottom with paid acquisitions starting to show some promise craig has been focusing on bringing his new marketing hire denise on board I asked him what he's been doing to prepare for her first day. Yeah, so we actually had a call yesterday and talked through a lot of the, you know, the first 30, 60, 90 day plan and, and what that's going to look like. And we're, we're really aligned with what that's going to what that's going to look like in terms of the, the things she's going to kind of be in charge of and, and take ownership of, which is which is really cool because they, they play to her strengths and they they match up a lot with kind of where we are with product and marketing. And so trying to trying to plan out, you know, how we're going to communicate, what she's going to do on a, on a regular, you know, daily basis, how she's going to report that back to me um, so that so that we can work kind of asynchronously because she's going to be five hours difference than me, time zone, which is 
you know, it's challenging. It's definitely doable, but it's, but it's, you know, something to consider. And then really, I mean, she is a, she's a very good marketer, I think, and she'll be very successful. But I think in any role, when you come into an organization, you need clear expectations and guidance and, and knowing what the heck is going on. And, and I need to give that to her because that's, that's definitely my role. Like with a developer, it's easy. Okay. Here's the feature. Here's what I want it to look like here. Here's where it's going to go. You know, things are in source code and GitHub. I have to provide all of those equivalents to, to her as a marketer. So things like, you know, setting up Google Analytics access and hot jar and conversion tracking and drip and all these kind of things. And then, and then giving kind of big picture things of saying, you know, we need to address our email onboarding and we need to e- address our nurturing sequences. Let's figure out how we're going to split test those and change, you know, styles of emails and things like that. Um, we chatted through all that stuff for about an hour and a half yesterday. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, just to get to, to chat marketing with somebody who knows a lot about marketing was a ton of fun. So I'm looking forward to it just to to be able to bounce those ideas off of because I've I've had someone to talk product with, you know, with our developers, but I haven't had anyone to talk marketing with. So I guess from like a, an emotional perspective that I'm looking forward to that a lot. That's a big deal to have someone, you know, on or near your level, um, depending on whether, you know, she'll probably be more experienced in certain areas than you are and, and you uh, than her and others. But it's a really big deal to have someone to sanity check things on because you've been doing this for several years now, really on your own. And that can get, like you said, it can get lonely. You've had product conversations, but having someone to sanity check or double check or just one plus one equals three type situation, you know, just add, add ideas or thoughts, I think is, is going to be a big, big win for you over time. It is really intimidating. You, you talked about someone at or above your level. It is pretty intimidating to bring someone in that is, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, she's above my level. I have a lot of, you know, podcasting and product knowledge that she doesn't have yet, but that's easy <laughs> to acquire. Uh, but it is intimidating to say like, okay, this was my baby in marketing was my baby. Um, you know, this person's going to come in and in a few months, just totally own it and, you know, run it and just let me know how things are going. And yeah, it's exciting and it's cool. And it's absolutely why we're doing this, but it's, it's a little scary to think that like, I'm not going to be in control anymore. And I don't want to, I don't want to be in control. And I think if I, if I remained in control, then it wouldn't be an effective hire. So that's just emotionally like a, an adjustment. Absolutely. But a good, you know, a good one that I'm making. Yeah. Yep. I've been, I mean, I've been through the same thing multiple times, especially after selling, selling my company, you know, it's the right choice, but there's an emotion that is, it feels weird or it feels a little bit scary or it feels a little tenuous to hand this over what is that emotion and you know is it is it losing control is it you don't know if the results will come like why is it hard to hand something like that over to her yeah i think it's the it's the thought in the back of your mind that you know this person's going to come in and not meet your expectations and and the company won't perform like you want it to and that's there's no reason for me to think that that's going to happen but but that's just it and I think a lot of the work that I'm doing now is to to appease myself and give me some comfort around like, okay, I am doing everything I can to set her up for success, um, just like you would a developer. Like you give them a scope document and you give them wireframes and you give them technical specs so that they go build the thing like it should be built. Um, I'm I'm trying really hard to to do everything I can so that when I hand it over, 
I know in my mind that I can say, okay, she has all of the knowledge that I can give her. She knows where we need to get and and how we're probably going to get there. Uh, and, and so I can kind of, you know, sleep better, rest easy, knowing that, that I've done my part to let her be successful. And then it's a lot just up to the person. And, and that was a big reason we, we hired Denise is, is she's just, she's a winner. You know, she's a person that owns it and, and really cares about winning. Um, and especially in that kind of role, like you have to have that. And so it gives me more confidence to say like, give her the keys and the tools and let her go and, and, you know, fight the battle, but I'll still worry because <laughs> I'm just, I'm just a control freak like that. So. Yeah. I think most of us are right. I think that's why we want to start our own companies is we want, <laughs> we want to be in control yeah. of our, yeah. of our little area. We don't necessarily play well with in big companies. You know, we play well with others as long as we can hand pick those others. That's what I've told Sherry before. Like when I worked at big companies, it was like, yeah, I don't like coworkers at all. And I, I realized that, no, I actually like having colleagues and coworkers as long as I get to pick who they are, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what running yeah. your own company is, right? You get to pick who you hire. We'll follow along next episode as Craig continues to loosen his grip on marketing and Castos finds new challenges. Stay tuned. On next week's episode of Tiny Seed Tales. I think maybe that's the thing I'm most happy about with Denise coming on board is it's a business that potentially could could run without me. And not that I'm just going to go away because I'm definitely not, but it lets me work at like a higher level that then a lot of work gets done.